Well, you know, life, uh, life can be tough. I mean, there can be tough circumstances. There can be tough situations. There can be struggles. There can even be sin we're wrestling with that we're trying to let go of. We find these hurdles in life as we're going along. And, and we're in a series called Authentic Community. Authentic community. Man, if you don't talk about the hurdles, it's not authentic, right? So today, we're actually looking at a passage in 1 John, as we walk through the book of 1 John, on just how in the world do we handle the hurdles? How can we handle the victory challenge? How do we go after it? What's it look like? What are the promises? Lord, help us to truly overcome. That's what we're looking at today. The challenge, the verse, or the title for this passage is just, let's overcome. We're coming out of 1 John 5, uh, 1 through 12. So, you know, we're going to have the ushers come forward. They got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you, okay? If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will get one to you. We're just going to walk verse by verse through this. So, uh, starting in 1 John 5 there. How can we experience victory that's available in authentic community? That's what we're looking at. First step, faith. You can powerfully conquer outside influences and the sin within, with faith. Powerfully conquer outside influences and the sin within. We're just going to start right here in verse 1, chapter 5, and walk through, all right? says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So first, first word there, everyone. How many people? Everyone. Okay. Does it stop at everyone or does it clarify that everyone? It clarifies that everyone. So what's it say? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. See, here's the beauty of it. There is an all-inclusive, but the all-inclusive is not every human being that ever walked the earth. The all-inclusive is every human being who's willing to bow before God Almighty and say, Jesus Christ, you rule and reign in my life. You are my king. The person that says that has a guarantee. Every one of those people has a guarantee. It says they've been born of God. You actually gained some DNA from God Almighty. The Holy Spirit touching you, beginning to transform you, taking up residence in you, you becoming a new creation, you're born of Him. If you trust in Him, if you lean in Him, if you rely on Him, there's a DNA of God Almighty that begins to shape you and change you. It says, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. I'm telling you this, if you've trusted in him, you will absolutely have a love for those around you because he is love. There's this wonderful promise that we will gain this passion and this heart for those people around us. Thank you, Father, for being love. Thank you, Father, that I can love those around me. He says right after it, by this, we know that we love the children of God. So how do I know if I'm doing a good job loving, Lord? Help me know that. How do I know if I'm really loving well? By this we know that we love the children of God. So how do I know I'm loving his kids? That's what he's answering. You ready? The answer. When we love God, 
and obey his commandments. Just let that settle for a moment. What? Like, I got to tell you, the first time I read it, I was like, did he forget where he was? I, I mean, his statement is, I want you to understand how you know you're loving God's kids, his children. And so wouldn't you expect in the definition of loving children that you would say things like how you would reach out to the children, right? Wouldn't you expect the children word in there somewhere that you would include the children, that you would bring them close to you, that you would see the children's needs and that you would, yeah, he doesn't talk about the kids at all. How do you know that you're loving his children? Answer, well, that you're loving him and obeying his commandments. What I love about it is it's kind of like our biblical counseling mantra that we always say. It's not about the symptoms. It's about the source. All right. Loving children, loving God's children, symptom. Right. It's the result. Loving God Almighty and letting his commandments change you and shape you and direct you. Saying, Lord, you've got my attention. I'm running after you. Loving him with all you've got. Well, that'll result. In loving his children. Loving his children is a symptom. Everybody say symptom with me. Right? Symptom. Like that's what it's about. It's a result. And so how do I know? Well, I know because I've got the actual source burning within me. Of God Almighty working in my heart and soul. Loving God and obeying his commandments. Trust me, you'll end up loving those around you. It's an amazing result of the one who is love working in us. He says right after it, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. All right. So how many of us have actually tried to do what God calls us to do, and we actually find the commandments burdensome? I mean, let's be real. How many? Anybody want to raise their hand? All right, you're with me, okay? We find it burdensome. So what? God's lying? What's going on with that? Well, here's what it is, all right? He says his commandments are not burdensome, but know this. He never calls us to do what he's asking us to do of our own strength. Every time we find it burdensome, know this, you're doing it on your own. And it isn't going to work very well. His plan is simply to say this. I want to change you from within. I want to empower you. I want you to grasp the unbelievable nature of myself as I pour upon you. And as I pour on you and you begin to be transformed, these things I'm asking you to do are just going to be easy. Right? In fact, this is a reference back to Matthew 11:30, where Jesus is talking and he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What was he talking about when he taught that? Well, the description of all the sets of rules and how you accomplish those rules was called the yoke. Did you know that? So when these Pharisees would teach or when these teachers that would travel from town to town would teach, they would have what they would call their yoke, the collection of things they were asking you to do and how they were asking you to do them. And he's saying that collection of things I'm calling for you, it's easy. The burden, it's light. Because here's the key, the how is, man, I'm right there with you. And I'm going to be empowering you. And I'm going to be working with you. I'm going to be transforming you from one degree of glory to another. And as you let me change you, bam. Man, are you going to be able to handle that? Are you hearing it? So when we're wrestling with life, 
know this, we're on our own there, and that was our choice. We need to get closer to him. He's ready to be with us. He's ready to be right there with us. Are you ready to have him lean in with you and start changing you? You see, that's when it's easy and the burden is light. He's calling for us to obey, not because you muscled it, but because you just got on your knees and said, Lord, I'm willing to have you change me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Get the sin out of the way. Get the junk that's blocking him and simply say, Lord, it's about you. And as you let him be glorified in your life, you will be amazed at how you're transformed. And the burden becomes light. His burden is not a burden at all. It's a privilege and an opportunity and a joy. Amen. Hey, that's what we're called to. And as he calls us to overcome, he's telling you this. I want you to know this. I'm here with you. I'm right here with you. And we can do this together. Let's do this together. It's the ultimate in encouragement. He's walking this walk with us. Okay. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments, not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Really? Is that your experience? For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. I mean, let's make sure when we're reading scripture, we don't just go da 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 da, right? And then we walk away, we're like, Christianese, I've heard it. And, and then as we walk out, we're like, I'm not even sure if I understand it. I haven't seen that. It doesn't seem to be working that way for me. And we don't question it until we're in trouble. And then we start questioning it. And, and now we're sort of stuck. And we're asking tough questions in tough moments. As we read this, let's be real. Is this really what we see in life? That everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world? Well, let's make sure we read it correctly. Notice what it doesn't say. Everyone who has been born, like past tense, everyone who has been born of God has overcome. Is that what it says? No. It's not past tense done and over. Notice it's present tense. Everyone who is born, like, do you know him? Are you walking with him? Everyone who is born of him overcomes in the present tense, ongoing, kind of this continuous thing that's taking place. There's this constant growth that's taking place in your life, and we're forever growing towards him. There's this sanctification process. See, that's what's being taught here. It's not an instantaneous victory at the point of salvation. Then we'd all be perfect. Are we perfect? That was kind of a weak answer. Are we perfect? Yeah. First John 1 8. If we say we're without sin, well, we're lying, right? So let's make sure we grasp where we're headed. We're on this path towards looking more and more like him. He's sanctifying us. He's changing us. He's transforming us over time. We're heading towards glory, perfection. But on this side of heaven, we can't say we're without sin. First John 1 8. So what we end up with is on the other side, as we see our Savior face to face, maybe it's because we've died and gone to heaven, maybe it's because of the rapture, but when we see him face to face, bam, in that moment, glory, perfection, never again trapped by sin, ever. And I think that's the first time where we're really going to grasp how deeply sin had a hold on us. 
when all of a sudden it's gone. It's just everything in me is constantly and perfectly willing to run hard after him and worship him and glorify him. Man, is that going to be a time? And until then, I don't know that we even grasp the inklings of how deep the sin works within us to stretch us away from him. The beauty of it here is he's telling us we're on a process of growing to be more like him. And we will forever be growing towards him until we hit that day of eternity with him and bang. Now we're with him for all eternity in perfection. We're going to overcome the world. Amen. Amen. We're going to overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Victory is ours. Amen. Amen. Each and every day, in each and every way, you can experience a walk with Christ where he begins to reveal to you and empower you to be able to let go of something and see more go away of the sin and more of him coming in. Amen? Like overcoming. Some victory can be had. Man, we need to grab onto that with all we got. Serious hope in him. And unfortunately... All too often, we just set the Bible down and go, I need to try really hard, right? And like a year later, we're going, I don't get this thing. It doesn't seem to work. Don't go that route. Get close to your Savior and let him empower you. You will be overcoming in the present tense as you live life, okay? It says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We literally get to trust and believe in him. And our faith, our trusting, our believing, our counting on him will absolutely be what brings forth the victory. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? All believers have this hope that we literally know the ultimate victor, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And as we know him, and as we live with him, and as we let him work with us, we can overcome. Amen? All right. So uh, how do I know if I need a little bit of that victory? I mean, maybe I'm walking more perfect than I think. How do I, need to, how do I know I need it? Here's just a couple of quickie questions, or statements maybe. Uh, when I want, you know, when the phrase is, I want, and what you want is clearly sin... It's time for victory. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever noticed that? There's times where we define ourselves with the word I. I. I want. How come what I want doesn't match what God wants? And my wife and I were talking about this this past week. This is my conclusion this week. Maybe I'll change my mind next week. But this was our conclusion this week as we talked. It seems that when we say I and I goes for sin, those are the moments that we're letting sin block us with Jesus Christ. We're not running with him, and we're absolutely running after self. And then we define I by the sin junk. Do you know what I'm saying? And then we get this revelation, and all oh my word, I need to let it go. And we confess, and please forgive me, Lord. And we're now we're running with him, and we've got this kind of purity of walk with him. And now I, I want what Jesus wants. And have you noticed that? Our want seems to go back and forth. Paul noticed it in Romans 7. He talked about it as this battle that's going on back and forth, right? And there's the, the me and then there's the sin in me and there's the, there's this battling. Well, when, which one takes over? I'm telling you, it's which one you gave the throne at the moment. When I want equals sin, 
You need to invite you off the throne and invite Christ up. Okay? So that's the first one. The second one that might help is uh, when there's something inside of you that's just saying, enough. You know what I'm talking about? That conviction that hits you, that that conscience within you that's speaking, like, I, I can't believe I keep doing this or keep saying this or I'm about this or I'm thinking this or I, enough. Like when our conscience is screaming, stop it, well, it's, it's time to stop it, right? So that's another piece. Maybe a third one is when a friend is coming alongside of you and they're saying, enough, right? So when the friend is talking, when the conscience is talking, or maybe when you've been able to identify that I'm just headed for the stuff that I shouldn't want, that's a time where I need victory. I need to go after the victory. All right. Well, that's nice, Tim, but I really don't know how to get victory. I understand you're saying this kind of magical get close to Jesus thing, and it doesn't make much sense to me. All right? Help me out. Make it a little more practical for me. Help me understand. Okay. Five steps to overcoming. Five steps to overcoming. First step. You're pretty much always going to hear me say this now, right? Breathe. Spiritually breathe. You guys have heard me talk about this term before, right? The inhaling. It's the claiming the promises of who God is. The grasping from his word how awesome he is in your life, in this world. Lord, you are amazing in your promises. Thank you for who you are. The coming in. And then the confession, the exhaling going out, the, please forgive me. In light of that, please forgive me, Lord, for what's in my life that I need to let go of. Forgive me for this attitude, for this action, for these words, for my temperament. Forgive me. And then back in again, Lord, you're amazing. You're a forgiving God, a relational God. Thank you for the chance to know you, the in. And then the back out again. Please forgive me that I haven't responded with leaving you as king in my life. Breathing. I'm telling you, it's the first step in overcoming. That's how we get close. Is just get the sin out of the way. Don't breathe once a week or once a year. Breathe often throughout the day, right? We don't seem to need to say it physically. Spiritually, we have to tell ourselves all the time. Be careful. Don't suffocate. Okay? Breathe. That's the first step. Second. Just a passionate pursuit. Once you've breathed, once you've cleared it up, it's time to get in the word. It's time to pray. It's time to spend some time saying, Holy Spirit, teach me. Show me from your word what you'd want me to know. See, all too often we jump in the word and we haven't done any breathing at all. And all we do is read some words, black and white. We power through them. We're like, wow, Evelyn Wood would be proud of me. You know what I mean? We read like 5,000 words a minute. Bang, we're done. Flip that thing open and, and, and we're wondering why there's no power. In what's going on. Slow down. Breathe. Now spend some time in his word. Hearing from him. Passionate pursuit. Alright? Alright, now here's a couple of unique steps. Get ready. Coming straight out of scripture. So number three. We're going to talk in the next three steps here about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Alright? So if it's the world that's challenging you. Outside teachings. Some some junk that's just not right. Untruth. Challenges to what's more, it should be about you and your feelings and all the world statements, okay? If it's just outside truths that are, that are hitting you, well, then set up good fence lines, okay? If world, then good fence lines. That's 1 John 2, 15 to 17. 
Like the world is the things that look good and feel good and show me off, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lord, may I set up fence lines and keep those things out. What's an example of that, Tim? Like, come on, man, you should be true to yourself. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Be true to yourself. What are you talking about? Myself is full of sin. Why would I be true to God Almighty, right? Put the fence lines up. Don't let that stuff in. All right? It's not about showing you off. It's not about feeling good. It's not about looking good. It's about him being glorified. Amen? Amen. All right. So if the world set up some good fence lines, keep that junk out. All right. Number two, if it's the flesh, flee. Get out of there. Run. Did you know that there is no place in scripture that says that when you are dealing with your own personal weaknesses and temptations, that you should stand strong? It says that you should flee from fleshly lusts. Right? First Corinthians 10:13 talks about the fact that God, although you are being tempted, He has provided a way. To escape that you might be able to bear it. God deems it bearing it when you run well. Did you know that? When you're being tempted in an area, when something's going, there's this chatter going on over here and they're gossiping really good, you know? And then like, it's starting to stir and you're like, ooh, I got some things I'd like to say about that. And like, I should just stand here and try to say nothing. Is that the plan? No. The plan is use your feet and leave. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, this is winning, doing this. It's, it's okay to put yourself away from it, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, take that way to escape and get out. If it's the flesh, flee. You'll find you fall a lot less when you get yourself out of your weak spots and move, all right? So if it's the world, healthy fence lines. If it's the flesh, flee. And the last one there then is, if it's the devil, if it's Satan, well then stand firm. That's when we stand. So if it's a whisper from Satan himself, it's not in a weak spot of yours. He's just whispering to you to go after something. And 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 it's not really causing you to be tempted, but you're hearing it. And you're hearing it regularly. Stand firm. Take your position on the wall and don't move. Well, how do I know which it is? I'm telling you, if it's a weak spot... You're gone. Flee. Okay? So if it's something you're hearing and you're like, this is so not a temptation and I'm so standing firm and I am not moving. First Peter 5, 9. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. It's time for him to run. Not because of you. You're standing there with the biggest flex on you got. You know, you're doing this. Right? And you look like this little scrawny nothing. But God's standing behind you going... And he's moving out. He's moving because of him. Amen? Get close to your God. It's an amazing protection. I'm telling you, you got to break it down. World, flesh, and devil and figure it out. Number one reason that people fail. Well, because they don't try. I just don't know how, and so, so I don't give it a shot at all. Number two reason they fail. Because in the middle of being tempted, flesh, they try to stand strong. And in it, they collapse. It's not about standing strong when you're being tempted and it's working. I'm telling you, when Satan's whispering and you got it, then stand firm. As soon as it really starts to get tempting, you're gone. Does that make sense? So how do we overcome? Three step or five steps here. Breathing. 
pursuit passionately. If it's the world, well, then set up those fence lines. If it's the flesh, flee, get out of there. And if it's Satan, stand firm. Take your position on the wall and do not move. Make sense? Okay, that's just a real quick brief. We preached a series called uh, Fight Right two years ago, October 2009. If you want more explanation on that, go back to that sermon set. We've got that on the web. we got all our sermons on the web. So just go back to that. I was preaching it back in October of 2009, and you can pull that off. Listen to those. We'd walk it through, break it down. What does it mean, world, flesh, and devil? What does it mean to do each of these things, setting up um, fence lines and all that stuff? Get after it. Victory is yours amen Amen. victory is yours amen Amen. like i'm telling you you can go out today and experience holy living with your almighty god it can be yours Amen? amen are you ready to experience the victory jesus christ has for you ready let's go after it okay let's make sure that our faith absolutely is something we step out on and trust in. There was a, a guy at Niagara Falls, you probably have heard this, it's kind of a famous illustration, but it works well. So there's a guy at Niagara Falls standing on the Canada side, and he decides to tightrope walk across to the American side, okay? Can you imagine that? Those high winds and the rushing water, and it's crashing down below, and you're like, this is a good idea. You know what I mean? I don't know what he's... So he's walking along like this, right? And he gets all the way across to the other side, gets to the American side, and people are applauding and they're cheering and like, you're unbelievable. And this is a true story, by the way. You're unbelievable, right? And he says, I'm going to go back the other way. And they're like, you can do it, right? He's like, I'm gonna, I could do it with somebody on my shoulders. And they're like, I believe you. And he's like, who is it? <laughs> Dead quiet, right? And everybody's sitting there. Mm -mm, man i don't believe it that much you know and he goes seriously i need someone who and finally somebody did step out say i will got on his shoulders and he walked back across i can't imagine being that guy in the middle over the niagara falls it's one of those like i'm not looking down i'm not looking down right gets across to the other side everybody's applauding and cheering from a distance as i see him finally get over it really is the definition of the difference between mentally assenting to something and actually believing it, right? Our question is, as we go after overcoming, are we just mentally assenting to it? You can do it! Oh, me? Oh, maybe that's a different... Are we ready to go after it? All in, right now, Lord, I'm ready to see a difference. Are you ready? Think about it. It's time to be the guy that's willing to climb on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. That's the beauty. No risk here at all. He's absolutely got it. It's time to trust in him. Get close to him. Breathe. Pursue. And then do that stuff with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Keeping it away. Running. Whatever you need to do. Lord, may you be glorified. And each moment of each day, teach me what I need to learn to let go of. Teach me what I need to get away from. Teach me, Lord. Teach me. Are you ready to overcome? It's time for us to do it with all we've got. That's authentic community. Is Christ changing each of us one at a time?
Faith. Powerfully conquer both the outside influences and the inside with your faith in Jesus Christ. All right. Second step. Hope. Build our hope on Jesus Christ and the eternal life we have with him. Build our hope on Jesus Christ and the eternal life we have with him. We'll start here in verse 6. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by water and blood. And this is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is truth. John sort of adjusts the topic now, and he's like, I want you to understand Jesus Christ is, well, he's Christ. That's why he carries the title. And we have some testimony to that. The testimony is the water and the blood and the spirit. He says, the water, not by the water only, but by water and blood. Well, what does this mean? All right, by water. I mean, by baptism. When Jesus Christ was baptized, And this was a moment where John is looking at him and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? This amazing moment where water baptism was committing Christ to a ministry of caring for the world at hand. But it's not just about water and baptism. It's more than that. Well, why did John go into it? You know, there was actually some statements being made at that time. Uh, by the Gnostics. Remember, we talked about these guys a couple of times. One of the statements they were making was that there was this guy, Jesus, and he had flesh, and then there's God. And maybe what happened was God took over this guy, Jesus, at baptism, but then right before the crucifixion, he disappeared. He went back to heaven. And so it's the guy who's going through the stuff and not, are you hearing it? Oh my word, can you ruin the gospel message more? Right? And so John's saying, he came by water. And by blood. That's who he is. Our God. Yes, he was baptized. Yes, he was crucified. Our king for you and for me. Unnecessary for him. Absolutely necessary for our salvation. That's our Messiah. Amen? That's what he's saying. We must embrace who he is. The water and the blood and the spirit. It says, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. You know, in John chapters 14 through 16, the same writer here, John, goes through and explores who the Holy Spirit is and his role. And one of the things he says is the Spirit is going to be all about glorifying the Son. Not himself, but the Son. He's going to be talking through what it means to know Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he brings us to a knowing salvation of him and then trains us of what we need to let go of along the way. What an amazing God we have that he walks and runs with us. He not just knows the truth, but he is truth. He speaks truth. He lives truth. He walks truth. Without him there, there is no truth. And with him there, there is all truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's taken up residence within you to walk you along the way. His burden is light. Victory is possible. Amen? That's what we need to be going after. Now, he says in verse 7, For there are three that testify. Then verse 8, The Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. There are three that testify. Now, some of you may have a King James or a New King James Version, and there's actually some more words there. 
Okay. And, and just, so let me just give a quick explanation of it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just so you know, there are words there that are in the King James because they used a specific set of Greek texts, Greek manuscripts, and those Greek manuscripts had those words added. The words actually explain the Trinity. They're not heresy. They're actually very true words. They're justified and supported throughout other scriptures. Okay. The only question is, was it really written in that manuscript originally? We believe in the inspiration of scripture. God did work with man to write the word of God. And he wrote it perfectly in the original language, that original manuscript, perfect. But just so you know, recording along the way is not guaranteed to be perfect. And there was some stuff that was added. And they added this in a few of those manuscripts. And some of those manuscripts were what was used when they did the King James, New King James. So just so you know, that's why that extra sentence is there about the Trinity, okay? If you actually look at the ESV, the NASB, the NIV, the, a number of the others, they've gone to the older manuscripts, the more trusted original, and those do not have that sentence in it, okay? So if you have manuscripts that are dated around 100 AD, and they don't have it there, but you have stuff that's dated 1500 AD, and it does, better move to take it out. That's what they've done. Okay, does that make sense? Enough said on it. I just want to be careful, make sure we address it so you've heard it, um, but that's what's going on. So, uh, it does say, there are three that testify, the water, the spirit, and the blood. Three that testify. We've already talked about them. We talked about what they testify, that Jesus is the Christ. This fact that we have a God who is absolutely, absolutely Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Notice it says, these three agree. You know, where there are two or three witnesses, that's where you know you found the truth. Right? Where there are two or three witnesses. And so you see it in Deuteronomy 17, where you've got to have at least two witnesses if you're going to accuse somebody. We see it in Matthew 18, that if we're going to confront someone, we need a couple of witnesses. It's not just a single guy accusing somebody, and he could be a numb nuts, and all of a sudden we're running off and believing it. Like, we're not going to do that, okay? So we need the most... Numbnuts, it's a biblical word. (laughs) Deal with it, yeah. I saw you all kind of wrestling. Do I write that down? How do you spell it? All right. Spell it just like it sounds, okay? All right. Who thought that would take up time here? Okay, let me catch my position here. There are three that agree. We're back. So, notice it says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. I love this statement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God, greater. Like, this is what he's saying. He's saying, if this whole section stands up and says, yeah, we don't really think Jesus is the Messiah. He's not God. Whole section. Like we've got hundreds of people agreeing with that. And God says, he is. John's like, just so you know, I side with God. That's what he's saying. Like, I don't care how many men, God's greater. I don't care what the testimony, God's greater. I will run with my God, no matter what men say, because I've got the testimony. Notice it's not men. Spirit, And water and blood. The testimony does not lie in men. It lies in what God's provided. And in that which is. We can see it and touch it. The baptism and the crucifixion. Trust in him. Trust in Jesus Christ. That's the testimony we have of him. Okay. 
Notice it says in verse 10, whoever believes the son of God has the testimony in himself. Jesus Christ. You can have the Holy Spirit residing in you and this truth residing in you and you can be experiencing a victory in you as you go after life eternal and watching God change you from the inside out. Whoever does not believe God, harsh term, has made him a liar. Why does he say that? Well, because this is what he's saying. God's standing up and saying, this is my son, Jesus Christ. You need to trust in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you stand up and say, I don't think so, you are saying, God, you're wrong. And you've established it with authority. And you know, well, then that would make you a liar. That's where we stand. If we reject the truth of God Almighty. Ouch. That's pretty sobering. We better know where we stand when it comes to the testimony of Jesus Christ and our embracing him. Amen. Man, when we've got friends and family and loved ones, for us to gently, carefully, passionately, compassionately stand by the truth. That's what we're called to do. He says right after it, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. Verse 11. This is the testimony. Now we get the testimony delivered. So what is the testimony defined? That God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. God gave us eternal life. There's a gift involved. There's a receiving of it. There's simply an offering up. It's packaged up nice and pretty, and it's offered. He gave us eternal life. And the life is in his son, Jesus Christ. What an amazing privilege and opportunity to know him. When we look at life and the gift of life, we need to understand it this way. Hey, when somebody gives a gift, what's the, how do we get it? How do you get a gift? What would be the word? Receive it, right? But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. John 1.12 We need to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. We need to embrace him as our gift. And what comes with it is the gift of eternal life. Knowing him for all eternity. Worshiping him. Sin shocked. Nothing holding you back. Absolute perfection. No distraction. Forever. Gift. Not earned. But given. Thank you Lord. For your amazing privilege that you give us notice he says right after it whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son of god does not have life so son equals life not son equals not life i'm telling you you're not going to be able to read through the bible and come up with this really broad-based ecumenical kind of universalistic whatever you want to believe just give it a shot kind of position jesus christ life Not Jesus Christ, not life. Very biblical. Holy Spirit preaches it as truth. Do you embrace it as truth? That's where we need to be. And the beauty is he talks about this hope of eternal life and this privilege of a future with him and and how we can embrace him and run with him for eternity and thinking along that and the hope that comes with that can give you the staying power to overcome like you wouldn't believe. All right. 
So here's an illustration by popular demand. So this past Monday, I was uh, I was out bow hunting. Uh, I'd gone to lunch for a dinner, a lunch date with my wife, and got back, and I decided, hey, it looks like it could be a nice afternoon. I'll go out. I was dead wrong. Got out there about two o'clock, two thirty, and it's like spit and rain and overcast and windy, and and I sat out there. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into detail. Okay. But I got, I got out there and I'm sitting up in this tree stand and like hour after hour of wind and rain and squirrels, I finally typed a text to my wife, there's nothing but squirrels and nuts out here and I think I'm one of them. <laughs> True story. And uh, about five o'clock it starts really raining now, you know, and I'm like, that's it, this is ridiculous. And I, the word numb nuts came to mind. And so I take the bow. And I hang it up and I turn around and I'm getting up to get down. Like I'm done, you know? And I thought, you know, this is crazy. I mean, the deer typically come out between quarter to six, six o'clock, whatever, something like that. And here I am one hour from it. I've been sitting here for three and a half hours. Just gonna wait. And I turn around and I sit back down like, fine. And every squirrel that's running around, I'm looking at him like thinking maybe and nope and nope and nope and you know, and gets to about 10 to 6 and the squirrels again over here making noise and I look over and that's no squirrel and this doe walks out in front of me she gets about 14 yards out and I range finded her in so I knew how far she was and I, I thought all right the hunter and me, I'm like I don't want to shoot her I don't want to I don't want to clean her and have to do this in the dark and like I'm not going to do that I'm just going to sit here and enjoy so I'm sitting there and enjoying and watching her as I'm kind of settling into it's getting to six o'clock and still raining and as she's looking at me, she's figured me out. She all of a sudden, her ears cup, and she stares up the roadway, this little grass road. I'm like, what's she looking at? And I look over, rack. <laughs> I mean, a big 10-point buck comes around the tree at about 20 yards. And I'm watching this thing come further and further around. And he starts doing a scrape. For those of your deer hunters, you're like, no way. And then he goes to a rub, and he's just knocking this tree apart. Steps a little bit further another 10 point comes out i got two 10 points side by side at 20 yards and this guy comes around and i won't describe the rest but victory comes to mind and (laughs) so an awesome evening i'm telling you this four hours of sitting in the tree stand almost gave up three four five times i'm telling you staying power comes with hope hope And we need it when it comes to our eternal life so much more. But here's the beauty. I'm hoping in a maybe, I'm trusting in the six o'clock time frame and I kind of, and we've seen deer around and this is an absolute certainty with your savior of eternal life forever with him, with perfection, joy, satisfaction, nothing to be compared as we worship him for all eternity. Absolutely uncomparable. Wow. Amen? Amen. May we have hope. And may it give us an absolute staying power when it comes to victory. It's yours. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Wow. Let's grab on this week, right now. Here's my question to you. What's your sin? What needs to go? What's your sin? What needs to go? Let's make sure we lay it at the cross's feet, knowing Christ and his almighty power is our hope. The presence of him in my life is my victory, and it can be done. 
Amen? Let's pray.